Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. the GWS game and our round 20 preview against Sydney. Brendan, it was a bit of a frustrating game last Sunday, uh, Sunday night. Yeah, it certainly was. It was um, often, often complained about, you know, the dead slot on the Sunday, but uh, I think we, we think we lucked out there because that had to happen on a Friday night. It would have completely ruined the, um, the weekend for us. But um, obviously, you know, today, you know, a couple of days post the game, uh, still, still a bit flat, but not not as bad as what we were um, come Sunday night. And I guess it's kind of been lucky we've been uh, had the had the Olympics as well, so I've kind of been a bit distracted with that. So um, yeah, well, that's that's kind of me. What about you, Mark? How, how did you feel? Yeah, I was the same. I was pretty disappointed. Um, yeah, it was just that classic. Uh, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. It was one of those ones. Uh, the the lack of effort really got me. I think you know. There was a, I guess, a lot of people out there were, were maybe sort of looking for some excuses about, you know, the fact that we'd been fixtured in the Gold Coast and um, maybe, you know, umpiring decisions and things like that. And I, I don't, I don't really buy into any of that. I don't think that really had anything to do with it. I think we just didn't show up. It was as simple as that. And um, we had a lot to play for, and we didn't seem to care enough to to uh, to do it. So it was, yeah, disappointing. Yeah, just plain no good. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, round 19, we played GWS. So it was Essendon, seven goals, 11.53 to GWS, nine goals, 12.66. So we lost by 13 points. Um, and if we go through some of the key stats here, the stats were pretty telling. So we had 54 less kicks than they did. We had six less handballs. We had 60 less disposals overall. We had eight less contested possessions, 57 less uncontested possessions, uh, 61 less effective disposals, uh, and our disposal efficiency was was down about 4% lower than theirs. Um, what did you make of the stats, Brendan? Pretty telling. We just sort of got smashed in everything. Yeah, it's, um, so I'm grim, grim reading that, uh, you know, especially the, um, the uncontested possession. That's something that, with our handball game, we like to kind of get those changed, get it into space as well. So we, we've normally got high uh, uncontested numbers, but to um to get to get torched by by that amount is just um yeah just not sustainable football. And you know the uh, effective disposals there, you know sixty one less effective disposal just means you're not not using the ball well enough. And then when you you're not getting a lot of the ball. You have even less margin for error. So, yeah, overall, a uh, pretty poor performance there. I guess um, some positives were that, you know, we had the 13 more hitouts, which saw us kind of um, only just lose the overall clearances by three. So broke even at the uh, at the centre clearances there. Uh, obviously, with Parrish, Merritt, Stringer, you know, Draper all in kind of like set position. But stoppage clearances just around the ground, we kind of got we got touched up there. Um, 
yeah, I just kind of thought the game, I think they just had too much of the ball. And like you said, lack of pressure, lack of intensity on the ball carrier, they were able to transition from their back line through the midfield into their forward line with ease. It was, um, yeah, that middle zone of the ground, there was uh, very little pressure uh, on the ball. So I just got through there far too easily. If we go into the quarter by quarter, the first quarter was actually quite even between the sides. We had seven scoring shots to their six. We kicked four goals, three, uh, 27 to their two goals, four, 16. So the conversion was really the difference there. We went at 57% to their 33, which meant that at quarter time, we led by 11 points. In the second quarter, uh, again, fairly even. Both sides only had three scoring shots. I felt like the second quarter, both sides really struggled to put any pressure on. It was It was quite quite a boring game to watch in the second quarter. There wasn't a lot of tackling. It was sort of a little bit end-to-end keepings off, but not a lot of scoring either. So there were only three goals kicked for the quarter. We managed to to uh, kick a little bit straighter again and um, and we gained another five points. So we went in at halftime 16 points up, which considering how the game was going, I thought it wasn't bad because it was a sort of game where you could have come out and kicked a quick two goals and all of a sudden you're, you know, four goals up and, and sort of starting to skip away a little bit in a, in a bit of a low-scoring game. It was a, probably a good chance, but um, that's not what happened after halftime. Yeah, so the, at the half, we were 10 scoring shots to nine. As you said, we were leading by 16 points. We were 6-4-40 to 3-6-24. So our conversion rate, something we all <laughs> talk about a lot, is uh, it was at 60% and GWS's was at, 33%. So we were going okay on, on that um, on that front there. But, you know, the third quarter, they call it the premiership quarter. And, um, you know, it's kind of <laughs> obvious to see why we haven't been <laughs> in finals contender for 17 years. We kicked the, we kicked the four behinds to their, to their four goals four. Um, got absolutely smoked. Had, had, a, had a conversion rate of zero. Um, Lost the quarter by 24 points and then, you know, gave up that lead and we were trailing by by eight points at um, three-quarter time. And then going into the last quarter, we both had four scoring shots. Uh, we kicked the one goal three. They kicked the two goals two. They went at 50%. We went at 25 and that was the game. Really lost it by by 13 points. And, you know, and to sum up that second half, we had eight scoring shots for one goal, 7-13. They had 12 scoring shots for six goals, 6-42. So they went at 50%, won the half by 29 points and could have gone, you know, a lot better if they had a kick straighter. We had a conversion rate of 12.5% for that second half. That's that's as low as I've ever seen. So, yeah, we would... <laughs> We were no chance of winning. One goal in a half for football, Mark. What do you make of that? Yeah, one goal. That, well, that's the story, isn't it? One goal in a half of footy is just pretty laughable, really, and that's not going to win you any games. So, um, you know, they're the sort of numbers you'd see back in the day in a really wet, muddy, ugly day or something. Not even. You'd probably expect to kick more than that then as well. So, uh, yeah, just simply not good enough. If we move into the good, the bad and the ugly, we'll start with some good. So, um, in patches, we did play well again under a bit of pressure um, and we had some calmness. So uh, I guess if we identify a couple of players who I guess represented that was Dyson Heppel had the 28 disposals. He went at 
about 68% efficiency. So uh, a little bit more untidy than normal, but uh, had the six marks. He had four tackles as well, which was pretty good. Um, the three inside 50s, which is pushing up the ground and generating those opportunities for us. Uh, and the six intercepts as well. Jordan Ridley had 25 disposals at 92% efficiency, also had the six marks. Uh, didn't register a tackle, but had the three inside 50s and six intercepts as well. So Jordan Ridley a lot cleaner, um, which I guess speaks to that point that we said that there was a couple of guys out there at least that were that did play well and, and did play well under pressure and kept calm in the, in the situation. Yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, they're obviously two high-profile players there, Hep and uh, Ridley there, but a kind of a, a guy that's kind of a bit underrated there, but we thought, thought had a pretty good game was Will Snelling there. He had the 25, 20 disposals at 85% efficiency, had the six marks and six tackles, had a couple clearances and three inside 50s. I thought his game was um was pretty strong. Um, kind of wor- works very hard. This Snelling gets up to ground, creates options, and if and then you know it, nothing happens for him. He works hard back trying to get dangerous. I guess what what really stood out, and we'll probably talk about it later, is as a small forward there, he was really run out on the day there because a couple others were were struggling and was weren't just struggling in terms of um, disposal, but in terms of movement. Uh, didn't offer too much, but uh, will will did did do that. There was a couple of young players too, which had pretty good games. Um, Sam Durham in his second game, 15 disposals at 80%, had seven marks, um, had a tackle, score involvement, two clearances, two rebound 50s and four intercepts, uh, laid a couple of uh, big bumps as well, won some you know, 50-50 ball, um, played on the wing, so played in, a, in a, maybe a bit of a different role than what he has been at VFL level of halfback as well. So um, he had a really good game and, really displayed that kind of blue-collar theme that, that's been talked about a lot this year um, through Rutten uh, at the club. Nick Cox had 15 disposals as well, 80%. Similar sort of numbers, had five marks. Um, he kicked a goal and behind the behind that he kicked was uh, when he sort of burst through at the at the top of the 50 there, got through a couple of players uh, it, when he intercepted the ball and then just hit the post. So easily could have been a couple of goals. Um, he... Uh, had the couple of tackles as well. So five intercepts for Nick Cox. So yeah, Sam Durham and Nick Cox were some shining lights from the from the youngsters on the on the night. Yeah, I, I really like Durham's game there. I think, you know, he, he's gonna be a player that you're not gonna judge him on disposal, but you're gonna judge him on effort. You know, one percenters, knock ons, space, you know, there was a couple of efforts in a row there he had kind of just just outside the the centre square, he kind of chased and harassed and chased and kind of got the ball forward there. And that was really, um, really positive from him. And, you know, if he can continue to give that, you know, that blue collar and that endeavour, uh, he's got a spot in the side uh, week to week. And then Coxie there, I think thought Coxie had a, a good game. He was a bit, been a bit down in recent weeks. But, you know, the five score involvements and the three inside 50s, I think kind of got him back to where he was was previously there on the wing there, getting the ball forward, uh, being a bit creative using his run. I thought he was um, I thought he was really good, Coxie. And I guess um, kind of the other young player I want to talk about is Sam Draper there. Had, had, only had the 11 disposals, but went at 82%. Uh, took one mark, had 27 hitouts. But I think what was key for me was the 
seven clearances, six score involvements, and three inside 50s. Um, we've talked about how exciting he, <laughs> he is, Mark, and for Blake that's so young. But what he does once the ball hits the ground in the middle and his excitement and his follow-up and what he does to get the ball going forward, it, once once he kind of gets all the other pieces to his game together, that's really going to um, be a very, very difficult matchup. Yeah, no, he's um, he's had some games where he's really shown what he's capable of, and he has a has a good turn of pace as well for someone who's so big and and uh, you know, well, probably well over hundred kilos and very tall man as well. So, he uh, does he remind you? Now, this is going to completely might blow your mind, but in terms of how he plays, in terms of that follow up, getting the ball forward, is there a bit of knickknack about him, right? Or is Nick Nat's a low-possession player, doesn't get a lot of marks, can kind of impact forward, but not really. But his mill, his real value is that pressure, 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 push the ball forward. Yeah, I think a little bit, um, and that a bit of that explosiveness as well. Uh, I think he's it, if he can, over the next couple of years, work on kind of a, a bit more of his skills, like his kicking and that. He's, his kicking when he's sort of down the field and in play is, is not too bad. It's uh, obviously lets him down a little bit in front of goal. But, yeah, definitely I can see, um, obviously, a bit a bit of a way to go to, to forge a career that like Nick Nats had. But, um, yeah, he's definitely showing some, some attributes, I suppose, yeah. I agree with you on the kicking. When he's got the ball in play, he kicks it beautifully. He's a very fluid kick, gets through the ball. Right. I find when he's stationary, so after he's taken a marker and a free kick, it can't it kind of gets under the ball a little bit and it often goes up really quickly and then it travels and it'll drop quickly. Right. Whereas when he's in play, he's kind of got that more gradual arc to his to his kick. So who who knows what that is, you know, he's obviously late to the game, was only, you know, played when he was 16, 17, first started footy. So um yeah, I think we're all excited about what um what big drapes can become, and the fact that he also bet beat Mumford on the day, I thought was uh, put a smile on both our faces. <laughs> the last one to end the good category is one that could have nearly slipped into the bad category, so probably um, <laughs> probably fitting that it finishes off the good category. But in terms of the pressure, it was okay, but given the lack of possession, it could have been better, and I felt like. The pressure only really got dialed up maybe in that last quarter when it was kind of all on the line, which was a little bit too late. So in terms of tackles, we had 49 tackles to their 39. Uh, tackles inside 50, we had nine to their three. So tackles inside 50, something we've struggled with a little bit over the last maybe five to six weeks. Um, so that wasn't too bad of a number. And to get nearly 50 tackles was good. Uh, I mean, I guess GWS's number was down because they had so many more uncontested possessions. If you're the one chasing obviously uh, you're probably going to end up with more tackles. So um, you don't need to be tackling when you have the ball. Um, I guess maybe again, a little bit worrying. There were 16 players for our team that recorded two or less tackles and I think seven players that didn't record a tackle at all. So uh, there's definitely scope for improvement there. And I think we probably want to see players, I guess the contribution of that pressure game being a bit more evenly spread across the team. Like someone like Will Snelling, who you mentioned before, had a, had, had a pretty good game and he carried, you know, six of those tackles. So six out of 49 is, is a pretty huge number when you break it down for one guy. And then, you know, there's obviously uh, 16 guys below him who've only contributed two or less. Um, in some cases, none at all. So I guess, yeah, the, it, it was still there at times, but it, it 
can be a little bit more improved, I think. Yeah, I think we've said it in, in previous weeks there. Maybe this is uh, not the modern game. Maybe this is just us being uh, supporters that, you know, don't really understand football. Uh, but you should be looking to get one tackle a quarter, four tackles a game. If you can kind of – that's your goal and that's what you aim for. I think if you get that across the uh, across the 22, you're up at uh, 100 tackles a game roughly. What's uh, – you know, that's a good goal, I think. And I think that's simplistic and, you know, it's something that you can go back on going, okay, quarter goes for 30 minutes, I can't impact – once in 30 minutes, come on. Yeah, which I think, um, I guess, 100 tackles a game would be, be an extreme number. It would be quite a good game to watch if you're a supporter of that team. I think games that we've seen AFL sides do really well is when they're maybe up around that sort of 70 um, per game. Um, but even that, that's still a fair way ahead of, you know, we were less than 50. So, um, like you said, you've got 30 minutes. You're just asking to impact the impact at once and I mean there's some guys in our team who do do a lot of efforts but they don't often register tackles like a Ridley, a Ridley or a Laverde and maybe that's because of the role they play that they're more intercepting and that but um, even those guys you know they've, they've been great this year not knocking them at all but there's always like you said opportunity uh, at some stage in, in that half an hour period or 20 minute period to put some pressure on and uh, wrap someone up and stop them from getting through or chasing them down whatever it might be I guess this new stand rule as well might affect tackle numbers there because you can, they've got this stand rule, you can't move on the mark. You've got this 10 metre zone either side of the kicker. So guys running through, you often see a lot of that release handball. The AFL's obviously brought these rules in specifically to stop tackling, stop the devil play that we've kind of the congestion and kind of open it up. And if you're opening it up and someone can run past, get the easy handball and kind of fall, push the ball forward. Um, the old metres gain stat, uh, yeah, it's going to be um, a bit more difficult to tackle. But, yeah, like, like I think we said, but down by 60 possessions across the game and we only just got 10 more tackles and it was still under 50 for the game. So, yeah, improvement can be made. So with that segue, we lead into the bad. So I guess the first item on the bad, it's almost a copy and paste from last week. Um, we obviously won last week, but against maybe much less of opposition. And this week it was more of the same where we let the opposition team continuously just run loose. We didn't man up. They got uncontested possession and they just freely moved the ball around the ground without too much pressure, which is, I guess, off the back of what we were just saying about applying some tackle pressure. But we're going to have to get better. The zone the zone just doesn't seem to be working at the moment for, for a team to be able to sort of just chip it around at will and, Normally, once a team gets, you know, three or four of those chip kicks, they eventually sort of get hemmed in and then have to go down the line or maybe force a mistake. But it just doesn't seem to happen with us at the moment. It seems like opposition teams are able to link up, you know, eight or ten disposals without too much pressure. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, that, that coast-to-coast goals that we talked about earlier, it's got that lack of pressure. is exactly what you've just talked to there. Again, a bit of a bugbear of ours is uh, the red time goals there. You know, it's uh, did a really good job early in the year to kind of knock that on the head. And then that's kind of in the past couple of weeks has kind of come back, come back again. It happened again in the third quarter there. Uh, right at the very end, just, you know, conceding easy goals within the last two minutes. It's just, you know, something we've got to get better at as a club 
you know, if we can kind of stop that, get a bit more momentum. You kick a goal before for a break, you've got momentum. You go into the break, then you come out, you feel good about yourself, you know. So if we can do something to kind of stop that, it'll be it'll be good. And that happened at both the end of the third quarter and the end of the fourth quarter as well. And we lost the game by 13 points. So if you take those two goals out, you're only a point down. So it can it can add up over a game and over quarters and over weeks to end up being quite a few points against you in the course of a year. So it's um, it's definitely something there's still a bit of room for improvement on there. Um, another area was that our midfield was well down. We just got beaten and just didn't have the effectiveness that we normally do. So Zach Merritt, he started the game on fire. I think he had 10 disposals in the first quarter, but then finished up with 20. So he only had 10 for the remaining three quarters. So had the 20 disposals at 75%. Granted, he laid seven tackles, so he was trying to do what he could to get the pressure on. Had the four clearances. Darcy Parrish only had the 15 disposals at 60%. He had six tackles as well, so that number was at least up. And then Jake Stringer had uh, 14 disposals um, and only had the two tackles. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't have signed Jakey up. Maybe we should have kept him on the hook a bit longer and and got a little bit more out of him this year. Um, But in all seriousness, uh, yeah, the midfield just got smashed um, by GWS's mids. Yeah, look, down performances from our our three midfielder guys there. I guess... Jake, you know, he did have the five score involvements and seven inside 50s, four clearances. So he was contributing in, in a sense there. And he's always going to be a player, I guess, in the midfield. He's going to fluctuate. He's never going to be a consistent, you know, 28 possession, you know, type of player. Uh, yeah, not sure what happened to Merritt after after quarter time there. Maybe he got a knock or maybe something happened. Maybe they, they changed his role or GWS did something to kind of kind of impact him, I thought, yeah, he he got thing. And then Darcy Parrish obviously had the tag. Lockie Ash went to him and did a did a very good job. And Darcy's, you know, as a young player himself, is going to have to kind of deal with that and kind of look to overcome it. Uh, I guess the thing that I would say is that did we do enough to help Darcy get to break the tag? Were there guys at stoppages blocking him? Was Dar you know, should be one of those things that Darcy Darcy's I know he likes to move at stoppages. He's not stationary, so he's, he's doing the right thing. To beat a tag, you've got to move and make it difficult. But every time Darcy moves and he moves past the player, one of our guys has just got to put, put the arm out, bash into the tagger, block him, nudge him, get in his way. As Darcy w- moves past you, you take a step in, get in the tagger's way and just bump him and knock him and block him. and do. So by the end of the game, he, he's absolutely knackered. And Darcy can start to get some of his work late. So, yeah, um, that'll come with time. But, again, it, it is it is a bit of an issue. I guess um, a kind of ongoing issue has been our forward line there. We talked about only kicking one goal for the second half there. And, um, yeah, senior players too has been an issue. So we're talking about Devin Smith, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, Carl Hooker and Peter Wright. So, um you know, especially Devin Smith and Tipper didn't have big impact on the game. Only had, you know, 16 or five disposals. You know, two Devin Smith had two tackles. Tipper didn't have a tackle. Their score involvements were way down. Their inside 50s were way down. They're kind of, you know, they normally are bubbly, up and about, kind of in the face. They had none of that. And they, Tipper was limping 
a fair bit there during the game. So maybe he kind of got an injury there, but only the five disposals, that's uh, you can't be doing that when you're one of the better players in the side. Yeah, I think, um, like you said, five disposals with no tackles is, is pretty untipper like so maybe he's carrying something. Um, Smith, I guess his numbers are up on disposal, but, yeah, we'd like to see those tackle numbers up too. So uh, we really uh, – the four guys you listed there, Smith, Tipper, Hooker and Wright, we only got four tackles out of those forwards. So, um, yeah, need to start generating a bit more pressure um, and impact on the scoreboard as well. The – there was a bit of a lack of run and dare from half back as well. So we had Nick Hind who had 14 disposals at 78%. Uh, Mason Redman, 11 disposals at 90%. And Tom Cutler, 11 disposals at 81%. Um, and only the four tackles again between those three guys. So um, there was four intercepts from Hind and four from Cutler. Redman didn't manage to get an intercept. But just there was a noticeable lack of run and flair and taking the game on and trying to create something from half back. And I'm not sure whether that was just a result of the whole team being down or whether GWS maybe set up a bit better or made us more accountable. Not sure, but um, yeah, it was, it was a bit obvious that some of those guys were down on their normal performances. And that was kind of something that happened last week as well. Just seemed lethargic. There was not, not no drive in, in getting the ball forward there, chasing the man. I think, I think there was they did they did send someone to Hine there maybe to stop his run specifically, kind of play as a you know bit of a defensive forward. Uh, but yeah, they kind of it was just just seemed a bit flat, didn't I? I'm not sure if it's young side coming to the end of the year. We've been on the road a number of times this year. Then our back in Queensland is in a hub which they didn't deal with great last year. So maybe you know it's just a a circumstantial thing where all these things are impacting at once and it's kind of kind of hurt us there. But, you know, really, really need that back because, you know, we're a handball-heavy side and we, we base our game on pressure and then aggressive run forward. And if you're not running, you're not getting the ball to handball, you can't get in the space to receive handball, yeah, it really, both offense and defense is, is severely impacted. And, you know, I guess another question mark we had in terms of this was bringing guys like David Zaharakis and Dylan Shield back from injury. You know, Zaharakis had the wrist there, uh, managed to have the 10 disposals at 60%, uh, managed to kick a goal, you know, but Dylan Shield was coming back from what was a pretty serious uh, long-term knee injury. It was, you know, could have possibly been out for the year, Uh didn't play any uh, reserves football or any match practice coming into the game and um, only managed the 13 disposals at 70%. One mark. He had the four tackles. Uh, yeah, but two clearances or one inside 50. Um, Dylan Shield, 13 disposals. You wouldn't think that would that would be in the same sentence there. He's a, he's a prime mover and, you know, he probably didn't play as much midfield time. He's kind of playing more on the outskirts there and stuff like that. But yeah, I would have you would have thought a player of his quality would have be getting more of the pill than what he did. Um I just ask you, Mark, when he had the ball running into fifty to kick that goal, would you have a heart in your mouth? Did you think he was gonna kick it? I was I was so willing him to kick it just because that's been his Achilles heel. In that exact moment 
last year four, five, six times that happened. And I thought to myself, oh, if he game coming back, even if he has a bit of a rough night, if he can kick that, that will just do his world of confidence. And when he hit the post, and he didn't spray it, he hit the post. <laughs> I just felt, oh, that's going to – that's like a dagger in the heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, – yeah, I definitely wanted it, obviously, to go through. It would have been great for his confidence and, and for the team as well to get around him and get up for themselves. But – as soon as it as soon as it uh, was declared a behind, I think I said to you straight away, uh, like Shield couldn't hit the side of the barn. He just his kicking just needs some work. I don't know, his kicking at goals just has never been there. And like you said, he's a he's a pretty complete player. But if he could get that right, he could do a lot of damage. So uh, hopefully that's something we see more of from Shield having shots at goal and them going through. Um, I guess just back on to some stats-based stuff. We sort of covered a bit of it earlier, but they had 50 more marks than us. They had seven more contested marks, and they had uh, one more contest, uh, one more mark inside 50 as well. So we just kind of got smashed, um, smashed everywhere. And then the, the conversion you kind of touched on at the start of the pod was that um, the inside 50s, although we were even for inside 50s, they managed to have three more scoring shots than us, 20 more score involvements than us. And they went, their conversion was pretty horrible too, in fairness, at, at a tick under 43%, but ours was even worse at, uh, at just under 39%. So it, poor kicking loses your games of football, like you said, is uh, poor kicking's poor footy. So it's something that we need to have a look at getting better at. Yeah, well, what can we say? But uh, I guess move on to the uglies there. And um, I think I'll let you go with this one because it's a. Uh, Involves two people that I think I've said on the podcast I will not refer to again, yet I've continually referred to them. So I think I'm going to draw a line in the sand and hand it over to you. And uh, it's actually not Danaher and Saad. So, um, <laughs> no, it's uh, the ugly this week was we copped, we copped the Eddie Maguire commentary uh, in the last game of the weekend. And it just instantly, he had this love affair with Shane Mumford and everything was, oh, mummy this, mummy that, and uh, just mummy things. And, uh, I mean, the bloke's a thug and throws cheap shots and had about 100 free kicks against him because he was blocking and trying to cheat because he can't move. And, um, they were, yeah, he didn't play a terrible game in fairness did Mumford, but I don't know what, what Eddie's love affair was with him and, why he was barracking for him. It just did, didn't make any sense. So that was quite frustrating to listen to. And uh, I just think that these personalities who have been either recently involved in big footy clubs or, uh, or actively involved in big footy clubs, they need to, they need to maybe have a look at the fixturing of who they commentate. Like probably don't have any Maguire commentate, you know, Essendon games, Carlton games, uh, Hawthorne games, things like that, rival clubs that he hates. So it's uh, it was pretty frustrating to listen to. But anyway, rant over. Don't give us Eddie. Um, we'll move on to the Essendon People Podcast Player of the Year Award. So I'll quickly roll through my votes, Brendan, and then I'll hand to you. So my starting at the bottom there, my one vote I gave to Nick Cox. Like you said, I thought he bounced back um, pretty well uh, after sort of a quieter period for a few weeks. My two votes I gave to Sam Durham. Thought he was really good, really um, displayed the blue-collar kind of vibe that we're going for. My three votes I gave to Dyson Heppel. Um, thought he was really solid all game and, and really tried to contribute. My four votes I gave to Will Snelling. Like you said, he's a bit of an unsung hero, but when you go back and look at his numbers and what he actually adds to this team, he's a really vital cog in the in the whole thing. 
And my five votes I gave to Jordan Ridley. I thought he was pretty flawless again. Um, unfortunately, didn't have a lot of mates uh, on the weekend. But uh, that were my votes. Who did yours go to? So, yeah, so my one vote went to Sam Durham. I thought he was really good. Uh, second game, as we mentioned, really cracked in with a physical presence. Uh, two votes went to Sam Draper. I thought, you know, his work in the ball forward was um, was a real positive and, and kind of, I think, beat, beat Mumford overall. So that, that, I think, got him the extra vote over Durham. Uh, the three votes went to Will Snelling. I agree with you. Uh, unsung hero. Uh, the role that he played was really important. The teamwork that he showed was really important. And I guess, you know, if people don't, you know, obviously watch the game, maybe you don't catch it or you're live. You know, I, I watch all game, all the full replays, and he is a replay specialist. When when all the emotion is out of the game and you just sit there, you know the result, you're just watching it, what he does stands out so much. And, you know, he, he has to he has to get the greatest recognition. Uh, four votes went to Dyson Heppel. Thought he played a pretty good game, was under pressure, uh, a lot of ball getting inside 50 there. And then the um, for similar reasons, Jordan Ridley got my five votes. I just think uh, so classy by foot, so strong in the air, he's best and fairest. He's played less than 50 games. Yeah, he's just a, he's just a star. And, you know, started the year off really strong. Got that concussion against Brisbane, kind of struggled for a couple of weeks after that, but he's starting to get back to some really good form and um, may it long continue. With that, we'll go to a quick break and we'll come back with some VFLW and VFL news. So we had a COVID-19 interruption right at the pointy end of this VFLW season. So... We are about to play in a preliminary final. Uh, we were about to play in a preliminary final, and that kind of got put on ice. But now we are going back to that. So the, with the restrictions easing uh, in Victoria, as it got announced today at the time of recording, um, we'll go on to play Geelong at Windy Hill uh, on Saturday at 12 o'clock. So unfortunately, fans won't be able to attend this game due to some restrictions still being in place. Uh, but great that we'll still be able to get this prelim underway and if we win it we'll advance obviously through to the grand final where we would meet Collingwood um, who would play in the final series prior uh, to this game and um, we would play them at Northport Oval so uh, a lot riding on this one and um, pretty awesome that the VFLW girls have made it through to to a prelim and uh, they've come a long way in the last two or three years so that's really exciting. Yeah um it's it's good that it's going to be live on KO freebies, so we'll still be able to tune in and uh, and watch the girls play. But um, it being at Windy Hill there, oh, I imagine you know with the boys in the state, we could have you know could have all got down to Windy Hill, packed it out, and really supported the girls. And you know we got like twenty thousand people at Windy Hill, yeah, it just would have gone off. Right? Imagine the imagine the lift that we could have given them, and you know. Especially when, as we've said a few times, haven't, haven't seen a lot of finals wins in the red and black over the last little while. So um, to watch the girls get into a grand final would have been fantastic. But um, that's that's not to be, unfortunately. But, um, you know, there is some good news regarding the VFL in addition to the game coming back. And that's happened tonight as, as of recording there. It's the uh, the AFLW draft there and uh, – 
three of our three of our girls um got selected and from from the VFL side and now going to be AFLW players. So Georgie Presparkas, number forty three, she's gone up pick two in the draft to Geelong. So she obviously played the uh, the four games for us this year, uh, averaging the lazy seventeen disposals and ten tackles a game. So it's clear why she went uh went number two because she's an absolute star. Uh, at pick seven, also to Geelong, Zali Friswell, number 47. So, you know, she's um she's played the seven games for us this year and he's kicked the three goals four. Is uh has been a number of times in our little summaries of the game there, uh, kicking goals. So that's um that's really good. And Amelia Yassa went pick sixteen to the Tigers. She's our she's our number forty, averaging ten disposals and four tackles from the six games. Uh, yeah, so well, just a big congratulations to Georgie, Zali, and Amelia on uh, getting picked up. You know, getting to play now at the highest level uh, in the land, and then um, hopefully, you know, in the years to come, maybe they can come back to the to the AFLW side, and uh, uh, once we get a team, and we can have a uh, have a really strong VFLW and AFLW programs that we can you know, hopefully see some success in. Yeah, big uh, big congratulations to those girls. That's a huge, huge achievement to make it to the AFLW. Um, the VFL, we went back this week to playing games at VFL. So although we had uh, we had a bit of a different team makeup, so it was round 15 in the VFL, we played Southport uh, and we lost, unfortunately, by four points. So it was uh, Essendon 10 goals, 11.71 to Southport, 11 goals, 9.75. So, um, yeah, unfortunately lost. We were up pretty well all day and just got beaten at the end there. So Southport's a pretty good side. I think they sit second on the ladder from memory, second or third on the ladder. So they're, they're quite handy and obviously we're playing them on their uh, their home deck as well. Um, the 11 senior listed players, so Dylan Clark had 31 disposals, two marks and five tackles. Marty Gleeson had 23 disposals, six marks and a tackle. Aaron Francis played a little bit up forward there. He had 15 disposals, one goal, seven marks, uh, a tackle and a hit out. Uh, had a few contested marks by the sound of things too. Lockie Johnson had 15 disposals, two marks and two tackles. So um, he's starting to get his numbers up there a little bit. Who else did we have, uh, Brendan, who, of the senior listed players? Uh, Ned Cahill had the 13 touches, four marks, three tackles. Cody Brand had the 12 disposals and six marks. Uh, Nick Bryan, 12 disposals and 32 hit outs. Uh, Brandon Zerk Thatcher, 12 disposals, 7 marks, 6 tackles. Josh Eyre, 6 disposals, 2 marks, 2 tackles and kick the sausage. And we'll just round it out there, Mark. Yeah, Alec Waterman had 14 disposals, 4 marks and 10 tackles. So really good tackle game from uh, Alec Waterman with the 10 tackles there. And Tom Hurd, 15 disposals, 2 marks, 2 tackles and also kicked a sausage roll as well. So... Um, of the other noteworthy performances, what other names did we have out there? Yeah, so it was much publicised there, the, uh, the the comeback, yeah, as it was dubbed, uh, from Alex Rance, uh, you know, premiership player, I think he's five-time All-Australian, has uh, finally finally decided to uh, put on a, a jumper with a sash of the right colour and uh, play for the Bombers. Uh, had the 18 disposals, uh, four marks, two tackles, and two hitouts. Um, Bio reports had was really really good with the younger players. So guys like 
BZT, Cody Brand, Josh Air, kind of giving them direction. There was a little little clip going around of him working with Air, uh, Brand, sorry, on the ground, just kind of when to go, when when the, when the forward does this, you do that, body positioning. So that was really good to see. He's obviously got a relationship with um with Josh Air there because Josh was in. Uh, I think Alex runs a the academy program and Josh kind of was a graduate of that. So there's a connection there. And, of course, um, we also had Paddy McCartan, the former number one pick, uh, 20, 2015 to St Kilda. Uh, has had a lot of uh, health issues with diabetes, but also uh, most notably concussion. Uh, he's He played for us as well. He had the 10 disposals, six marks, three goals, two, and he got a hit out. So... Um, it certainly hit the scoreboard there, did Paddy, and um, was obviously uh, a gun full forward in his junior days. And hopefully, uh, for his sake, he can kind of his health's well enough that someone takes a chance on him and he can get back to to living his dream. Um, I just want to thank those those two guys and the other guys that we had uh, play for us. If people aren't aware, um, well, obviously our regular v, VFO crew, so guys like. Kyle Dunkley, Joe Atley, you know, Nick O'Kearney. They're all in Victoria still. Under COVID, they didn't travel with the side. So we just had to kind of do the ring around for some players in uh, in Queensland there. And, you know, Rance, McCartan and a few other there just kind of stepped in and filled the void and helped us out. So big thanks to those guys. So um, VFL side is currently 20th out of 22 teams. We played the 10 games for the two wins, eight losses, and have a percentage of 64.5. Um, so obviously heavily impacted by COVID uh, this year. Um, our next match is scheduled to play against Sydney. Uh, not sure if that's going to go ahead. Uh, Sydney are going to have a similar situation to what we did with having no VFL-listed pl- players there. So maybe it'll just be a scratch match as opposed to a, um, an actual VFL game uh yeah but that's to kind of kind of see what comes from it definitely so with that we'll go to our last break and we'll come back with the preview of this week's afl game okay so for round 20 we're playing against sydney and uh that will be on saturday night at 7 40 at the gabba so Brendan, it's uh, our home game. Obviously, will be played again in a state due to the due to the current circumstances. But we don't even get to play at our our second home ground, Metricon. They've moved us on from our second home ground now as well, just to add further insult. Yes, yes. Well, I think I think we're actually scheduled for a Friday night, so we've must, missed out on a Friday night blockbuster as well. I think both their sides, uh, Essendon and Sydney, have had five day breaks and. The AFLPA aren't allowing teams to have more than one five-day break during the year, so we've been um, we've been moved there, and that's caused a bit of a logjam there. So I think it's just about ground availability, unfortunately. So um, we'll kind of talk about some injuries there. We're um, we kind of got a got, got a few back with Zaharakis and um, and Dylan Shield, but um. Yeah, still got a quite a lengthy. We've got ten people listed here, so we'll kind of just walk through them. Kane Baldwin, we kind of talked uh, a bit last week. There, he's kind of five six weeks away, he's progressing from long term to medium term. Whether or not he gets back for a game at the end of the year, unsure. But 
just just kind of want him to see him get fit so he can attack the preseason. Uh, Jai Cole was listed as a test for uh, for a hamstring there. Um, I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I know Mark, we're we're both pretty con- concerned about his history of hamstrings. Obviously, he did two you know really serious hamstrings this year, uh, plus his hamstring history at GWS and as a junior. So. I, I would say, you know, caution is the better part of valour. Get him, just get him right for next year. Don't rush him. Uh, Harry Jones with the foot. Um, yeah, not sure what's what's going on there. It's probably done for the year. Uh, Andy McGrath is currently uh, in isolation for three to four, for, sorry, three or four more days. Uh, he's got the, uh, he's got the uh, sore Saw knee there. Whether or not that impacts his ability to get back uh, sooner or rather than later, I'm not sure. Again, what's the rush in getting him back? Just get him right for round one. Um, Zach Reid, Irving Mosquito, Michael Hurley are all season-ending injuries. Um, Key McBride is is in isolation for another week there too. Got caught up similar to McGrath in the. Um, in the rugby game there, so unfortunately for him. And uh, Mark, we've been talking a lot about our um, our forward line not working uh, in over recent weeks, and it came out today that <laughs> maybe a reason for that is Dan Jordan, our assistant coach, who actually takes care of the forward line, is also in isolation with McBride and uh, and McGrath there. So <laughs> maybe that's uh, that's the reason why. So really, the uh, the only one that's available is uh, is Kyle Langford. Uh, He's got the hamstring. Is a test. Uh, we spoke earlier. I don't know about two week hamstrings. What's the rush to get him back in? Yeah, you don't want to do further damage. Just give him the extra time. But he's listed as a test. Yeah, hopefully from this isolation they can maybe take a bit of a John Worsthold learnings out of it, and uh, we can learn how to isolate a key forward deep one on one in the forward line that we can kick it to one out. So. That would be nice, but no, in all seriousness, I think those guys actually get out of isolation and get back with the team. I think it's from tomorrow on Wednesday uh, at the time of recording. So that will be good, and I'm sure the team will get around them and be happy to see them back. Um, Sydney's injury list, nowhere near as long as ours. So the only ones that we have really listed here is um, Sam Naismith, who did his ACL uh, earlier in the year. So he's out indefinitely. And Chad Warner, who um, has a bit of a sore shin, so he's a test. So they've got... A pretty available list, and it's fair to say that they're in pretty good form, um, not only this year, but even of late as well. So uh, I guess if that probably launches us into some key opposition players for Sydney. So Callum Mills, uh, he is a midfielder who is on the younger side, and he is starting to really take hold of his role in the midfield. So uh, maybe a suitable matchup is a Darcy Parrish. Uh, Darcy's obviously been sort of tagged a little bit the last couple of weeks, so I'd be interested to see what... Um, what Sydney do. Uh, but uh, yeah, Callum Mills and Darcy Parrish might be a, a good matchup. Isaac Heaney um, is a, a forward for them who sort of got a good leap on him, can take a big grab. Um, he's pretty versatile. He knows where the goals are as well, pretty skilled. So Mason Redmond has probably got the pace to go with him, probably got the strength to go with him, got the height as well. So um, he sort of matches Isaac Heaney pretty well physically. Uh, so that might be. Might be a good um, good matchup. You just got to be careful that he doesn't whack you and break his hand again. So, 
Uh, who else have we got there? Yeah, we've got Ollie Forrent, who is a uh, is a personal favourite of mine. So um, he's a he's a jet in their midfield. There, he's kind of probably their most damaging midfielder. There, he's classy, he's hard, he runs both ways. He's just everything you want from a modern footballer. And I guess a good matchup was probably a guy who's classy, who's hard, and he runs both ways. And that's Zach Merritt. <laughs> Right, so I think you know that would be a good matchup because you know when Merritt gets offensive, Florent has the ability to maybe go with him, and then when Florent gets a lot of the ball, Merritt has the ability to go with him. So I think it's a good balance. They they kind of counteract each other's strengths and weaknesses. Uh, Tom Papley is a uh, small forward who's uh, likes to get up for for us. We have a history of. Uh, getting torn apart by uh, small forwards. Uh, he needs not even half a chance. You give him three, you give him a quarter of a chance, he'll be on you. Uh, and he'll kick a goal, don't give him space. High, you know, low numbers, high pro- productivity. So I think Nick Hind is a guy we send to him. He's got the pace. Um, he's had a couple of down week, weeks, Nick. So maybe we just give him a role to focus on and kind of get him in the game a bit more. Uh Next up is, is Dane Rampey there. Um, always does something funny against us, does uh, Rampey there. Is that a climb on a goalpost or, you know, trying to do this or get a get a dodgy free kick or con the umpires or do something like that. So um, he normally plays closest to goal. And I think if we if Hooksy goes to him there, I think Hooksy's strength and if you can kind of get him in a wrestle or something, Maybe that's a way to get Hooksy into the game, just playing deep out of the goal square, get Wright and some other guys up the ground, isolate Rampy one-on-one. I don't think he'll, he'll like that. And then uh, and then finally, uh, I'll let you deal with the uh, the last man, Mark. He's been a thorn in our side for many years and has again uh, been kissed uh, today by the tribunal. Yeah, Lance Franklin got himself off on appeal uh, for that sort of uh, wayward elbow and uh, we will be having to deal with him on Saturday. So, yeah, like you said, he's taken hold of us a number of times. He's obviously kicked close to a 1,000 goals now in the AFL and, um, yeah, he's kicked a lot of big packs against us. So, physically, um, strength-wise and height-wise, James Stewart, I guess, maybe is an option. James Stewart maybe hasn't been in that great of form lately, so... Um, something we'll talk about in a second, but maybe we look to maybe put an Aaron Francis on him. Sometimes um, Francis has played his best games when we've given him a big role. So maybe this is a, a good opportunity for, for Francis to come back in the side and really be given a big responsibility and get a job done. So uh, Lance Franklin's definitely one we're going to have to watch because yeah, he's not afraid of kicking bags against us. Yeah, so we'll just uh, we'll move on to the three questions there. And the uh, first question I have for you, Mark, is... Uh, we talked about it earlier. We've got a young side. We've been on the road a lot this year. We're now in the hub. The last two weeks, we've had absolutely no run. Have uh, uh, what's going? Are we just run out of puff? Is that what happened? We're just out of puff. Yeah, I think I think there's some merit to that. I think, um, like I said at the start of the pod, I think there was sometimes the the whole being interstate thing and all that was maybe getting thrown around and sort of searching for excuses and that. And I think. I think there is a little bit of merit to it. I think um, definitely any young side out there, um, 
typically eventually runs out of a bit of steam and and uh, need a bit of a break and to reset over the summer and over the pre-season and come back fitter and stronger and bigger. So um, I think so, yeah. I think I think there are signs that some of the younger players are tiring a little bit and do need a bit of a break. Um, and some of the older players as well. You know, even someone like a hooker um, looks like he's, you know, pretty, been pretty stretched. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think so. But what do you think? Do you think it's enough to influence? I, I think there's some truth to it, but do you think it's enough to be influencing results at this stage? Uh, I think against North Melbourne, I think we were the second youngest side in the competition, and we were actually younger than North Melbourne. And you kind of, when you think to yourself, wow, that's, that actually is, I didn't realise we were that young because North Melbourne have obviously gone with a deliberate strategy. They delisted 12 senior players from their list last year. They've brought in a lot of lot of kids. And for us, actually younger than them, I thought, wow, and that's obviously been impacted a lot by our injuries there. And I guess when you're rushing in guys like Zaharakis and Shield just because they're, Senior bodies, um, yeah, that's um, that's it. It is maybe young. Um, look, I think it's hard to tell. We, we were never, we're never finals chances. I don't think, and I think it's just kind of. I don't think that game in particular against JWS was lost because of that reason. But I think, as a general trend, I think that's probably got something to do with it. The next question here um, that I'll ask you is. Will a loss or a bad loss end our year? Like there's obviously last week was a really good opportunity to cement a spot in the eight, albeit, you know, for the short term, we, we would have gone a game clear and had a healthy percentage as well. And we, we failed to take that opportunity and we now find ourselves outside of the eight and math- mathematically we can still make it, but we've got a pretty tough run. Um, if we lose this week to Sydney and it's a bit of an ugly one, is, is that it? Is that the end of the year for us? Um, not sure. M- m- maybe, maybe. It would depend. A loss probably wouldn't wouldn't kill us off. Look, it all depends if, if sides win and percentages and points, whatever. But I'm just talking, that'll all sort itself out. I'm more talking about whether the goal, the side is playing good enough football to get in. Um, if, we, if we lost, I don't think it would be too bad. If it was, you know, more than six goals, maybe you're looking like that. But I guess... Um, what a bad loss to Sydney, who, as you mentioned, are playing good. They've got a fit list. They play a very explosive brand of football. If we get done, if we don't have the run in our legs for the third week in a row, they will expose us big time. And what the scary thing is, is if they, if they can do that, we're going to be in officially in a slump with a young side playing the Bulldogs next week. And that, that'll be a... 15, 20-goal loss against the Dogs because they're playing some top-notch football there. So, um, yeah, if the loss this week doesn't kill us, it'll uh, a bad loss will certainly set us up to uh, be killed by the Dogs next week there. So, um, hopefully, hopefully it's not the case. So, um, the final question, Mark, uh, as we said, Buddy's beat the Tribunal. Classic Essendon style. How many does he kick? I think he averages... Averages six against us, I think, which is uh, an insane number when you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, funny you mentioned that, I guess. Uh, yeah, my guess is actually that he will kick six on us. Um, and I don't think it'll just be the six. I think it'll be something like six goals, three. I think it'll be a pretty, I think it'll be a pretty dominant outing for him, uh, unfortunately. So, 
uh, yeah, he's feasted on us a number of times and I can't see that changing. I can't really think of a game where we've really held him and kept him pretty quiet. So, um, yeah, I'm going the six goals three, unfortunately, for uh, Buddy Franklin. What, what are you thinking? Well, I think there's one game where, where Hurl's dominating. It was that Eddie had that day. And earlier in the year, I think Paul Ruse came out and had some comments about Hurl's not being able to mind a baby in a pram or something like that. Uh, right, which I think was pretty poor. Hurley was playing with some injury, and he came out I think the week or two later and played on um played on Buddy and absolutely torched him. Right, just dominated. Was easily best on ground, and I think he came back and he gave uh, Paul Ruse a bit of a spray uh, uh, in an interview post game. So that's one time we've um we've held him to a relative number, but. The fact that that stands out so much and I can immediately go to it means it hasn't happened a lot. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I think it's just prime for him beating the tribunal, playing us, we're playing poor form. Yeah, he's going to absolutely uh, smash us. Uh, if his average is a six, I'll go with the average, but it could be more. I think it might even be a case if he kicks six and he sets up four or five others and he's <laughs> he absolutely crushes us. <laughs> so um, we'll move on to possible changes, Mark. Uh, ins and outs. Uh, do we – two bad losses in a row, do we will the axe or make minimal changes? Uh, will the axe. I, I think it's time to – you know, if you put up a bad performance, then, you know, there's a lot of guys who didn't play well and um, you can't cut them all, but I think you need to start somewhere. So – I think there's a few people as well that have been not playing great for a little bit now. So, uh, yeah, let's go Will the Axe. So, I guess who we've got to bring in, we've got uh, Aaron Francis, who uh, played in the VFL on the weekend and um, had a pretty good contested game uh, and a bit of a hit out by the sounds of things. So, presumably, he's kept his fitness up and having a match under his belt now, he's good to go. So, we spoke earlier about James Stewart and maybe James Stewart's been a little bit shaky the last um, the last little bit. So uh, I, I can't really see anyone else coming out of the, the back line to let Francis in. We're obviously not going to drop a Ridley or anything like that. So, um, yeah, maybe Stewart comes out and, and we get Francis in. Not sure what you think about that. Yeah, well, if Francis comes in the back line, as you said, Ridley's not going to get dropped. Heppel's not going to get dropped. Uh, Laverde's our best defender. All uh, right. Redmond doesn't really play that role, and Nick Hines the only guy with pace. So, yeah, it's a it's a bit of Stewart's playing that that key back role. That's what Francis will play. Uh, yeah, I guess the difference is if if Francis goes forward, there obviously played forward in the VFL. Um, not sure he played forward, but for any other reason that we had Zerk Thatcher, Brand, and Rance in the side. You and if you know if they're getting Rance in was there to kind of give some direction to some young offenders in Brand and Zerk Thatcher. We can't play four of them in the back line. So Francis forward, especially with McBride out injured, uh, makes a bit of sense. Uh, yeah, so look, if Frank is – we've said this every week over the past three or four weeks. If uh, if Francis is fit, he's best 18 he plays. So I guess, you know, Stewart's the unlucky one, but, you know, he's kind of – Bit bit better performances, maybe he could have secured his spot. I guess the uh, the next one is uh, Kyle Langford. We talked about there two weeks for a hammy. Not sure if that's entirely the best way to go about it, but you know he's a test. If he gets through the test, 
I, I, I would pick him um, if he's 100% fit. Who, In terms of who he comes out for him, I think a like for like is Cutler, kind of that bigger body mid. You can play on a wing, play inside, go forward, go back. I think pretty sure Cutler came in for him originally anyway, so it makes sense that he goes out. The next guy we had here was probably unlucky to fall out of the side last week was uh, Guelphie. So he had he's had quite a good sort of two or three weeks leading in uh, to the game that he got dropped. And um, I guess uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him back. We're, we're sort of crying for a bit of pressure, a bit of tackling, you know, the smothers, the small things, um, some of those small kind of things that we need. And I, I guess as well, there's been sort of talk that, you know, his contract won't be discussed till the season's finished about whether or not he gets renewed or not. But um, why not give him a few weeks to prove his worth as well? So, like, let, let's make the most of the opportunity. We've got to see what he's worth. And um, I guess someone who could fall out. We, we've sort of spoken about Devin Smith a little bit over the last few weeks and been a bit disappointed. Um, granted, I'll, I'll give him credit where it's due. He's, his numbers were a bit up. He had more of the ball. He had he had four shots on goal. So he could have easily. we could have easily been really singing his praises. A, a few of those shots were sort of a bit Hail Mary and, and were low percentage opportunities, but he's still trying Guelphie and give Guelphie the opportunity. Um, I think you need a reward effort and maybe get, you know, Smith to go away and work on uh, some of the things he needs to work on. So, um, yeah, for me, Guelphie in for Devin Smith. Cool. Uh, so the next guy we've got is Dylan Clark. Uh, he's Third or fourth week back now. Um, obviously, played really well in, in the VFL game. Thirty-one disposals again. You think that we need we need a we need a big body in the midfield, just something you know a bit different. You know, also rewards his his patience and hard effort in getting getting back to full fitness. Um, yeah, and maybe get keeps a bit of accountability in selection the guys who haven't been going that well. Uh, we've got listed David Zaharakis um, back for one game this week, maybe a bit stiff to go out, but uh, I think Zach is at the end of his career. He uh, didn't really do enough to guarantee himself a spot. Looked a bit short of the run as well, so maybe maybe he, he goes out for, for Dylan Clark. I guess a bit unlucky, but you know if we want Clarkie in, um, someone, unfortunately, has got to go out and we've kind of... Zarakis is that man. And Clark's another one that, you know, is uncontracted at the end of this year. We sort of need to make a call on what we're going to do with him. So uh, he's obviously had very limited opportunity this year given that he's been injured. So now's a chance to give him a couple of games and see what he's got. Um, the last one we had here was Waterman. Again, was maybe a little bit unlucky to fall out of the side. Um uh, I, I think he's a good contributor when he plays uh, for the most part. Um, Braden Ham was a little bit down last week. He obviously had a lot of mates who were also down, but again, you're just sort of rewarding the effort. Waterman had a good game in the VFL, had the 10 tackles. So I guess guys who are showing that desire to tackle and that that blue-collar working style that we've been promoting as a club, I think you have to reward that. So, uh, yeah, for me, Alec Waterman in. Um, take Braden Hammer, give him a rest in the VFL, um, let him get a bit of touch um, and let him come back in in the following weeks. So, yeah, Waterman in for Ham. Yeah, and then the final one there is um, 
is a really big name, and that's Tipper. Um, I think I think he had the five disposals this week. We talked about. He's kind of struggled in the past couple of weeks. He's really struggled since the buy. The first half of the year, he was top five in the common medal. Was easily the best small forward in the game, and you know he looks like he's. It's just every week he's just copped a little knock, a little knock here, a little knock there. And I think it's just building up and up. I think he just, there's a guy who just might need a bit of a rest and a reset, you know. We got, after this game, we've got what, three games to go? Kind of give him a week off, get his mind fresh, and have him go go really hard in the next couple of weeks, uh, especially if his body's sore there. Look, he looked very sore. He couldn't move. I think you outlined the stats before. No, no pressure, no tackles, no inside fifties. You know, so uh, that's just not his game. And I guess uh, the guy we bring in would be Ned Cahill. Plays a similar role. Uh, was brought in a couple of weeks ago for one game, and then was dropped. Um, again, I know we've spoken about don't like bringing in young players for just one week, and dropping them. So maybe if, if Ned can get a. Uh, Another another guy, I believe. I'm not sure his contract status, but he might also be someone uh, that's uncontracted there. So um, this might be an opportunity. We've talked about it a couple of times, but this might be another opportunity. Let's just. I think we all agree the year is over, right? I think Ben Rutt in his press conference pretty much after the game said as such, if we'd be if he made finals, we'd just be making up the numbers um, as us. Essence supporters, people, we all know, you know, when we've made finals in the past, it's just been buildings when we get in there because we're not we're not good enough. What does that what does that achieve? Let's play a Cahill, let's play a Clark, let's play a Guelphy, a Waterman. Give the give these guys four weeks. You've got four weeks to show us what you've got. You're playing for, essentially you're playing for a contract for next year. Uh, show us what you've got. You know, we'll back you in for the games. Don't worry about making mistakes. You know, it's the old, you know, what a, what you can do as opposed to what you can't do. Not interested in what you can't do, interested in what you can do. Play at your best and then see what, you know, comes of it. So that's kind of what I would be going on. So I guess we'll um, we move now to results and margin. Mark, I'm guessing you're going to go a loss and... Uh, I'm guessing it's going to be by a uh, decent margin. What do you think? Yeah, I'm sorry to be negative here, but uh, it'd be pessimistic. But I just think our form has been wavering. We weren't particularly impressive in what was a 12-goal win over Adelaide, uh, who were going really poorly at the time. We we weren't great against North, who were bottom of the ladder. Um, two weeks prior to those games, we, we were pretty soundly beaten by Geelong. Um we weren't in great form, obviously, on the weekend uh, either against GWS and just showed a real lack of effort and intensity and uh, and care. So I think our form's been down now for probably close to a month. Uh, and I think that we're going to sort of get really – that's going to be really highlighted this week against against a team who's in really good form and has a lot to play for heading into finals. So long story short, I think we're going to lose by 52 points on the weekend. I think it's going to be a pretty – a pretty big beating, and um, that will be season over for us, unfortunately. I don't think it's all doom and gloom, though, if that happens. I think the year is still a success for me so far, and um, we've, we've still got an opportunity to play it out and get a couple more wins. But unfortunately, I think we're coming up against good opportunity, uh, sorry, against good opposition this week, and 
we're not in good form, and I think that that's going to translate to a to a pretty comprehensive loss, unfortunately. Um, pretty dark view on it, I guess, from me. So apologies for that, for that to our all listeners. Um, but that's just my thought. Well, what about you, Brendan? Uh, hopefully, you've got a slightly more optimistic view. Well, I am Mr. Pessimist, and especially between the two of us, there, I'm usually one that's all dark and gloomy. But I think you've um, I think you've outdone me. This week, Mark, I certainly think we'll lose. And I certainly think it'll be – there's no question about that. But um, I was thinking more the six to seven goal margin. Maybe you might argue that two goals are quite a better side. So that we're looking at your eight goals, which is around what you've projected anyway. So I guess I'm <laughs> five or six points more positive than what, what you might be. But, yeah, I think we're going to get – I think we're going to get beat. I think, you know – we just don't have an answer for Buddy, and Buddy's just gonna. I can see it happening. I can see Papley kicking goals. I can see. What I want to see is just us, you know, not get beaten in a few weeks. Get the run back, right? I don't care what if we get smashed. Get the run back. I want to see guys in the midfield come in and do something to help the parish beat, beat a tag, right? I want. Like it's almost, I'm almost looking for things that it's non-scoreboard related. Tackles inside fifty, they got to be up, you know. Pressure of the ball's got to be up. Defensive transition has got to be up, right? All those things that obviously will flow on to scoreboard if if you do them. But yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking for, and um, yeah, hopefully um, it's gonna be a big test for the coaching group this week. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do to kind of get the guys out of this. Uh, this little uh, ditch that we're in at the moment, and I agree on what you said. I'm I, I'm okay to accept a loss to a better side, um, as long as we see some effort and, and have a good crack. Um, I think we saw that the first time we played Sydney, we the players came off the field and they were really down and they were, they were really hurt by the loss because uh, they sort of gave it their all and and fell a bit short. Um, and it was refreshing to see from an Essendon side who who really was invested in it and, and it meant a lot to them and they gave everything they had. So as long as we see that, then I'm happy to not focus on the scoreboard so much and, and look at more about the culture that we're building and the way that we're playing and what we're trying to do out there. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely be looking for other signs regardless of the scoreboard on the weekend anyway. Um, social media, you'll find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Essendon People Podcast. So, um Follow us there if you can. Uh, leave us a review on the platform uh, of your choice that you listen to, whether, whether that be uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or what have you. Um, give us some feedback. We're always happy to hear feedback. Um, so I think that does us for episode 28, Brendan. So uh, have you got anything else to add before we go? Yeah, I do. I just uh, It's kind of been a bit of news yesterday there about um... – about Mark Robinson there, the Herald Sun journalist there, the chief football writer there. He's also um, on 3AW Radio and he's the one of the co-hosts of the AFL 360. Um, he's going through some some health battles at the moment there that seems quite serious there. He's, you know, unable to kind of do do his media roles at the moment there. So um, I wish, wish him all the best there. Hope for a speedy recovery there. Um so obviously, over the journey as a journalist, you can't really be positive and negative for a club. But Mark uh, Mark Robinson actually is an Essendon supporter. He obviously grew up an Essendon supporter, and he actually um, followed the side pretty closely. 
uh, that that hasn't always resulted in him writing positive things about us. But I guess that maybe you know, as I said, when you become a professional journalist, you've almost got to take that your personal allegiances uh, out of it there. But yeah, Essen uh, People podcast here, wishing an Essendon person in Mark Robinson, you know, and even if he wasn't an Essendon person, there actually is one of the big media figures in the game, and to, you don't want anyone to be suffering ill health. Uh, as such that they can't, you know, go to work. So uh, pushing him a, uh, a speedy re- and recovery and hope he's going well. Yeah, well said. Hopefully we can read his columns again soon and uh, see him on the desk at 360 again as well. Um, he's a, he's a colourful personality and, and you need people like that in the industry. All right. Well, I think that does us for this week's uh, pod. So go Dons. Go Bombers. Go Bombers.